Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Chapter 24. Would you agree with me that we live in a world of chaos, confusion, and craziness? And would you agree with me that that is a world that is not just in our own city, in our own state, but also in our own country, and then across borders, international borders. We've got, uh, if we stop to talk about all that's going on right now, we could talk all day long. We could talk about the Ukrainian war and how Russia and Ukraine have been fighting We could talk about all that's going on in China, with Taiwan, and with Hong Kong. We could talk about all that's going on in Europe. We could talk about all that's going on here. And it seems like there are clashes constantly. And just when one crisis is over, another crisis begins. And just when one conflict seems to begin, another conflict seems to be winding up. I don't know if you've taken a look at the stock market lately. I don't know if you've taken a look at the global economic situation lately. But all of these things are going on, and it would be really, really easy for you and for me to be discouraged. It would be easy for us to want to just build a wall around our own little family and kind of just hunker down and hope for the best. But the truth is, we should be doing the opposite. And the truth is, what is going on today with the chaos and the confusion and the craziness should not have caught us by surprise. In fact, not only should it not be a surprise to us, but we ought to be able to realize that this is a sign to us of something greater that is going on. So in the scripture, I want to just kind of walk you through the reason this is happening and also the cause of this happening. Now, the reason is the the why. This is the why it's happening. The cause is is the, the how, or it's, the, it, it's what's bringing it about. So there are different words, the reason and the cause. Let's talk about the reason first. So in Matthew chapter 25, uh, 24, verse 1, the Bible says, As Jesus left, he was going out of the temple, and his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. Now, I wonder how that conversation went. You know, sometimes in Scripture, I just want to know more. I want to know more details, right? I want it to to be a picture that's painted out. And when the details aren't there, I just kind of have to build those details in my head. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because we are humans and we are trying to put this story together. We just have to be careful that when God says something, that's absolute fact. The other stuff is, well, it might have been this way or it might have been that way, right? So I'm wondering, what were they saying? Why did they say that? How did they say it? Jesus walked out of the temple with his disciples, and the disciples said, Hey, Jesus, isn't this a glorious temple? Now, what temple was it? It was a temple that Solomon built. It was truly a masterpiece. It was a work of art. It was built to represent the glory and the bigness and the greatness and the holiness and the awesomeness of God. It was the centerpiece of Jewish life. Every Jew would have adorned or would have understood the purpose of the temple in their lives. And so when, when Jesus walked out and the disciples said, hey, look at this building, they were really making a bigger statement than just look at this building. 
They were really, I think, fishing more to the point of saying, hey, can't you see the day when this is full of people? Can't you see the day when worship is bustling and all the people's hearts are towards God? I think that there is this this longing there for for Jesus to do what he said he was going to do. Now, what did he say he was going to do? Well, Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was the one who would usher in the kingdom of God, right? He was the Savior. And so the disciples knew that he was the Messiah. That's what they were believing in. That's what they were banking in. But the problem was they didn't understand what kind of a Savior he was. They thought that he was just going to restore Israel back to its rightful place of autonomy, or I guess it would be theonomy, but they, they thought that he, he was going to make all things right. Why? Because Israel was under Roman oppression. They coexisted with the Romans, but they weren't truly free. They weren't truly able to direct their lives without somebody else telling them what to do. The Romans had their thumb on them. And in Israel, it, or especially Jerusalem, it was, a, it was a tricky situation. The Romans would let the Jews do what they wanted as long as they didn't seem to threaten the Roman Empire. So that's where the zealots came in. They were upset that the Romans had this control, and so they were always trying to usurp that authority, right? And so there was this really weird feeling going on, but there was a belief that the Messiah was coming because the Scripture proclaimed the Messiah would come. The disciples believed Jesus was that Messiah. The rest of the Jews didn't. And then Jesus made a statement. And you need to understand all that to understand what kind of statement this is. Jesus made a statement. It's almost like he put his hands up to his chin because when you're smart, that's what you do. You put your hand up to your chin and you, you go like this. And Jesus said this. He said, do you see all these things? They're like, yeah, yeah. Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. Now, there was a gasp. If not audible, it would have been internal. What? Because remember, the disciples believed that Jesus being the Messiah was going to make all things right. And Jesus just said the temple was going to be demolished. This is backwards. This is wrong. This is out of line. It's shocking. It's even offensive. But what Jesus was trying to teach them that they didn't quite yet understand is this. His kingdom was not of this world. And you know, folks, it is easy for us to look at this world and try to fix it, right? It's easy for us to look at the confusion and the chaos and the craziness and for us to try to bring it underneath the authority of God to where everything works right. And in fact, it's dangerous for us sometimes because of our, because of our, our, our national heritage for us to conflate being a person of the kingdom of God to being a person who's an American. And we kind of get those confused sometimes. And we even believe that we're just going to make America what it used to be, right? We're going to bring it back to the glory of the, the glory days of old, make it back to the great nation that they were, thinking that when we finally do that, God will be on his throne again. Now, we would never use those words, but here's the thing. We need to understand that there is a kingdom on earth and there's a kingdom of God, and the two are not the same. I'm not saying that neither one is important. 
Because both are important. We live in a world where there's an earthly government. We live in a world where there's earthly rules. We've got to understand our role in that. But we cannot fix our eyes on that which is temporary, thinking that God is going to fix what is temporary and not realize that what God is really doing is setting up a whole different kind of kingdom. Now, we have to understand that, just like the disciples had to understand that, If we don't, we're going to be spinning our wheels and we're going to be frustrated and we're going to be confused and we're going to be angry at all that we see. So that's kind of the backdrop here. Jesus essentially is saying there's a different kind of kingdom that I'm setting up, right? And then he goes on and doesn't say anything else. Now, we don't know the time frame here, but in verse 3, the Bible says while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so somewhere between leaving the temple... And sitting on the Mount of Olives, they had some sort of a a, a traveling, right? They went to the Mount of Olives. They got there. And the disciples had been stewing on this. They had been processing it, going, I don't quite understand. What, What did he say? Why did he say it that way? And so they said to him, tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they asked the right question. What is the sign of your coming, and, and, and what is the, the, the sign of the end of the age? When is this going to happen? But we need to understand that they were thinking that it was going to be immediate. They were actually thinking that since Jesus was there, he was there to rule and reign and set up the earthly kingdom like they thought that the Bible had said. They missed the part about all in between his first coming and his second coming. They didn't comprehend that. They thought it was going to be immediate. They were really saying, how many more days until you're going to make things right? Isn't it true that we want things right away? Isn't it true that we have such a short view of things sometimes? Isn't it true that we see all the calamity and all the chaos and we're like, when is God just going to fix this? And then when it doesn't happen and there's more and more and more, come on, we got, Lord, where are you? Why aren't you doing something about it? What we need to see is that Jesus will do what he said, but it's not going to be in your timetable nor in mine. He is a God who seems to be very slow, but he's exactly right on time. Jesus then said this. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. So in other words, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to tell you the signs of what's coming. He said, watch out. That no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah, and, I, and they will deceive many. Deception is the name of the game. Would you not agree that the confusion, the chaos, and the craziness is really all about deception? And deception is about thwarting the truth, or maligning the truth, or taking truth and twisting it just enough so it's untruth? In fact, that is the cause of everything we're dealing with. It's truth. We live in a day where truth is rejected and where truth is subjective. And every problem we have is because we have denied the truth. What's the truth? Well, the truth is what God says is the truth. But we live in a day where we say there is no God, and your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. 
You don't have to have my truth, and I can't judge you for your truth. Can you just process for a moment the absolute absurdity of that statement? Just think about it. And could you imagine going to a bank and operating under those same principles? See, what I say is in my account is not what you say is in my account. We're going to have a problem, aren't we? Why will we not accept that? Because we know that there is an absolute number. Because I put a number in, I put money in there, that's the number. You confirm that number. So you can't just make up your own number whenever you want, however you want, just because you feel like doing it. We don't accept that with a bank. Why do we accept that with other things? Amen? Amen. Why would we believe that your truth can be your truth and my truth? Now listen, this sounds so harsh to a world that doesn't have a value of truth. And the reason we don't value truth is because we've been washing away at it for the last 50 or 60 years. And we don't have time to go into all of the reasons why, but essentially what we've done is we kept beating up against truth, taking little by little away to where before long we have nothing that we can stand on that is immovable and unshakable. Therefore, everything in our life is going to fall. Everything. You take away the foundation of a family, family cannot stand. You take away the foundation of a marriage, a marriage cannot stand. You take away the foundation of an economy, an economy cannot stand. You take away the foundation of anything, let's just talk about a house. You remember seeing pictures of houses that are on the side of cliffs or on the beach and the water just keeps coming and little by little the erosion just pulls out the, 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 the foundation or pulls out the, the sand from underneath the foundation, the foundation crumbles and the whole house just gives way and goes, right? That's what's happened in our culture. That's the cause. It's a truth issue. It's a truth problem. And it's not enough for us just to declare truth anymore. See, it used to be that we had a foundation that we could all go back to and say, okay, that's where truth comes from. But the foundation has been eroded to such a degree that now the source of truth doesn't even exist. Can I just tell you, there is no coming back from that. There's no coming back from that. Because when you remove the foundation, the whole structure fails. So you're like, Jeff, why are you so pessimistic? I'm actually not. I'd actually like to think that I'm just biblical. Listen to what Jesus said. Verse uh, verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Now, did you catch what that just said? All of these events, the wars, rumors of wars, the famines, the earthquakes, the, 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 the uh, deception, all of those are the beginning of labor pains. Now, what are labor pains? Labor pains are the things that a woman has that, it, that, that is the, the beginning or the instigation of actually delivering a baby. And the one thing I learned about labor pains when we had our first child is that labor pains start... 
And they can last as long as they want until that baby's ready to come, right? For us, it was an 18-hour labor in the hospital. Is that somewhere right? But they didn't just start when we got to the hospital. The labor pains are actually what caused us to go to the hospital. I remember I was sleeping perfectly sound. Shannon came in. She said, Jeff, it's time to get up. Like, why? Well, because I've been having contractions. Oh, really? When they start? Last night. And I'm like, thanks for not waking me up. No sense in all of us being miserable, right? She got me up. We, got, we had our suitcases. We had it all perfectly planned out. We went to the hospital. We were thinking we were going to go in. We were going to go in the room. Labor was going to happen. Two, days, two, two hours later, baby's there. We can go home and eat a water burger. We thought that was going to happen. It was like forever. It was like the longest day of my life. <laughs> I say that jokingly just because Shannon's... I, now, if you've had a baby, is this not true? That you don't think it's ever going to end? And what's the thing about labor pains that are true? They don't start as bad as they're going to be. They just kind of play with your head a little bit, right? They're just a little bit, then there's a little bit more, and then it's like, oh my gosh, this must be it, and then it's gone. It's like, hmm, that's strange. Oh, there it is. Whoop. And it's like this, this back and forth and back and forth. But what you have with labor pains is an increasing intensity of pain, right? It gets worse and worse and worse until you cannot stand it anymore, and it's time for the baby to come. Jesus said that we are going to experience labor pains, the coming of the kingdom of God. And he said that these things, wars, rumors of wars, nations rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes in various places, they're the beginning of labor pains. Folks, what does that tell you? It's going to get worse. Now you're like, I'm glad I came to church today. Here's the thing. If you didn't know that, would that make things any better? No. But if you had an eye to say, you know what? Jesus promised this was going to happen. He said to expect it. That actually does something different inside of us. It gives us hope because we know that it's not some strange cosmic thing going on. It is God fulfilling his plan for his kingdom. And when you have that kind of a hope, you can respond differently. I like the way Jesus said, uh, back up in verse 5, many will come, many deceive many. The verse 6, you're going to hear a wars rumor, but... The end is not yet to come. And then he goes on to tell us that we're not to be afraid. We're not to worry about it. We're not to be overwhelmed. And the reason for that is because Jesus is saying, I have not lost my throne. All these things that happen, it's okay. Because I am still on my throne. Listen to what verse 9 says. He said, they're the beginning of the labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, because lawlessness will multiply. What do we see in right now? 
Would you not agree that lawlessness is multiplying exponentially? We live in a world where an 18-year-old young man can walk into an elementary school and open fire and shoot fourth grade children without any remorse or feeling at all. We live in a world where a man can be minding his own business and a total stranger can walk up and point blank kill them just because. We live in a world where you can be shopping in a grocery store and someone can come in and begin to massacre people with not one thought as to why not do it. We live in a world where if you don't get the right condiments on your hamburger, you can jump through a drive through window and start to assault the worker at McDonald's. Would you not agree that lawlessness is rampant? Why is it rampant? Because truth is gone. Truth actually isn't gone. Truth is truth whether we believe it or not. It just happens to be that truth doesn't affect our decisions and our consequences and our actions if we don't recognize it. If we can do whatever's right in our own eyes, then whatever we do can't be wrong. And by the way, isn't that what we've said? Whatever you do, it can't be wrong. Which if you follow that to the very logical end of it, It makes no sense for any of us to say any of these things that I've mentioned are actually wrong. Because what's true for you may not be true for me. Why would it be be wrong for me to take somebody's life without thought? What gives you the right to judge me for that act? You see how insane that is? It doesn't make sense. But we're living in a day where that is the way that our culture and our people think. And here's the danger. The danger for you and for me as followers of Jesus is to become calloused and for us to let the love that God has placed in us grow cold and begin to reciprocate that hatred and that coldness to others. And that's where we cannot ever find ourselves. Jesus went on, went on and said, goes on to say in verse 12, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many outside the church, but the love of many in the church where we just don't care about anybody anymore. Why, why should I care? I'm just going to take care of me and mine. I'm just going to make sure I'm safe. I'm just going to make sure I'm protected. Jesus said that's not the kingdom he's building. He's building a kingdom where you are the salt of the earth, where you are the light of the world. Here's what's cool about that phrase. Jesus said, I am the salt of the earth. I am the light. But then he goes on to say, you are the salt. He's given that authority and that responsibility to you. You cannot affect change if you've holed up inside your house. But guess what? If you don't hole up inside your house, you're in a dangerous place. You are at risk of being injured. You're at risk of being hurt. You're at risk of being persecuted. But that's exactly where Jesus said where to be. Why? Because the way people find the truth is by people of truth Declaring and living the truth. The best way to combat the darkness is not to curse it. The best way to combat the darkness is to be in the midst of it. Because do you know that darkness 
flees when light is present. In fact, darkness is simply the absence of light. That's all it is. You say, well, I'm not sure that I'm supposed to be in a dangerous place. I would say, I'm not sure that you've read the next verse then. Because he said, they will hand you over to per- and you will be persecuted and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. I'm not so sure how that equates to safety and security. It doesn't, does it? Now, I know we're supposed to be reasonable, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, God has not called us to cower in fear. God has called us to walk forward with boldness and courage in the truth of what we know. So the way that we combat fear, the way that we cause fear to leave, is to simply know the truth. Truth eliminates fear. Truth eliminates chaos. Truth eliminates confusion. It doesn't eliminate craziness. You're on your own with that one. You say, well, what truth? Jesus said of himself, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. The way you live and deal with all of the junk going on out there is to focus on knowing and believing the one who is truth itself. Everything we need to know about life is found in Jesus Christ. Everything. How to treat people, how to love people, how to respond to hatred, how to, uh, how to have vision, how to treat our family. Everything in life is captured in the life of Jesus. If that's all we knew, we'd have enough. But the problem is we look at the wind and the waves that are going on, don't we? We start to see the, the, the raging seas and we start to be afraid and we forget who is in our boat. I was reading this passage this past week or last week, I can't remember which one it was, but I was reading where Jesus got in the boat with his disciples and they set across the Sea of Galilee. And as they were sailing across, Jesus just laid his head down and he went to sleep. Now, my first question was, why did he go to sleep? I mean, that's, that's kind of, why did you go to sleep? And then I remembered that in my own life, if I take a boat ride out in the Gulf of Mexico and I'm tired, what do I do? I give the, the wheel to somebody else and I lay down and I go to sleep, right? It's kind of comforting out there. But as he was on the bottom of the boat sleeping, he was probably tired. The disciples were were taking care of making the boat go across. And the wind and the waves started to pick up and the seas picked up. Now, the Sea of Galilee is about 11 11 miles from north to south. And it's about four to six miles east to west. And you can get four, five, six foot seas on this Sea of Galilee because the way that the wind comes through it, it can get really bad really fast. And their boats weren't giant boats. And so you can imagine with the waves and the wind going, they were pretty scared. And they looked over and they were like, Jesus is still asleep. Could you imagine how angry they might be? Maybe they were a little bit bitter. Maybe they were a little bit annoyed. I mean, couldn't he get up and at least help row, right? Finally, they woke him up and he said, Jesus, don't you even care? We're going to die. They were, they were in panic mode. They were, they were just frightened. And, and I'm, I, again, I try to make these stories make sense if I were there. And I imagine them just going, get up. He gets up and he goes, shh. And like that, 
The wind and the waves just placid like glass. And his disciples are like, whoa. They even said to themselves, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? Right? I want you to take that story and I want you to insert it right in the middle of your life right now. Whatever the wind and the waves are doing, whatever kind of chaos and craziness, whatever kind of confusion is going on, you have a Savior who may be asleep, but He's still the Savior. You may not think He cares, but He does care because all He has to do is whisper and the winds and the waves obey. And by the way, if He thought that they were going to take you to a place that He didn't want you to be, He would do it on His own anyways. You don't have to worry about what you hear in the news. You don't have to worry about the famines and about the earthquakes. You don't have to worry about these things. Are they a reality? Yes. Will we, we, will we be affected by those? Yes. Look at your bank account. Again, you will be affected by those. Yes. But worry about it? No. Because we serve a God who has a history of several thousand years of coming through for his people who trust him. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean upon your own understanding. But in all of your ways, not just your spiritual ways, but in your checkbook ways and in your, your car problem ways and in every other way, in all of your ways, acknowledge Him. That doesn't mean that, okay, God is there. It's I trust you. God, I don't see how this is going to work. I can't fix this. God says, even the wind and waves obey. Sometimes God calms the storm and sometimes he just directs the boat. Nevertheless, when Jesus is with you, you have nothing to fear. Oh, can I remind you of something else Jesus said? He said, and I will be with you even till the end of the age. Listen, I would in no way minimize the struggles and the conflict that each of us are going through. No way would I dare say that they're not important and they're not, they're not difficult and all these other things. But I want you to lift up your eyes and see that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me, let me show you what the Scripture tells us it will be like in the heart of man in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, Traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding on to a form of godliness but denying its power. That's what it will be like in the last days. So you might ask yourself the question, is that what it is like now? Then we're in the last days. How long? I don't know when the baby will be born. I just know that we're experiencing labor pains. 
I just know that the contractions are getting harder, stronger, and closer together. And I just know that God is working all things to his own good, even when sometimes it doesn't seem like it. And I just know that God is faithful to everything he's ever spoken through his word and what he said he will do. And I just know that he told us that we can come to him if we are weary and heavy burdened, and he will give us rest. And he said, take his yoke upon us and learn from him, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I know that he's promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us, and so I know that nothing that the world has to offer can supersede the power and the might of the God that I serve. So what problem are you facing? What issue are you worried about? What news article has got you confused and worried and stressed out? Listen, those things are important. But don't forget, Jesus is in the boat. I want to share with you just a very simple, what do we do? Actually, before I do that, let me, let me, let me share with you what Jesus prayed. In John chapter 17. This is why we don't stop. This is why we don't just capitulate, hold up, bury ourselves. Just this, this, this is why we don't do that. Because Jesus spoke these things. He spoke to his disciples. He encouraged them. And then he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Oh, that our lives would be lived with reckless abandon for this gospel, right? Oh, that our lives would be wholly yielded to whatever God wants and however he wants to do it. He says, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh. So that Jesus, so that the Son may give eternal life to everyone that you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Verse 4 is what I want you to pick up on. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Have you completed the work that God gave you to do? Have you finished the work that he gave you to do? Well, wait, 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 wait. God didn't give me a work. God gave Jesus a work. No, 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 no. God gave Jesus a work to do, but he also created you, the Bible says, to do good works, to make him known, to declare and to live the gospel. You have a purpose. You have a calling. If you don't know what that is, that's where you need to start. But if you do know what that is and you're not doing it, you need to get your butt in gear. Can I say that in church? Come on, what are you waiting for? Here's the deal. With labor pains, you never know when the baby's going to come, so you better get working. I don't want to stand before God and say, Lord, I was gonna. My dad used to say, was gonna. Did you ever have a dad who said that? Well, was gonna didn't do it, did it? Never forget that. I don't want to stand before God. Well, I was gonna. No. I want to flame out at the very end. I want every fiber of my body to be used for the glory of God. My friend Keith Mott, many of you know my friend Keith. He does our air conditioners here, but he's a pastor. He's a bivocational pastor. 20-something years ago, 
His dad and him were having a conversation. Keith says his dad knew his time was short. How he knew, we don't know. But his dad said to him, son, listen to me. Listen to me very closely. If while I'm preaching, Jesus takes me home, if I die right there in the pulpit, I want you to kick my body aside. I want you to step up, and I want you to give an invitation and keep on preaching. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I've completed, Jesus said, I've completed the work that you sent me to do. Have you completed the work? If your answer is no, and I think it is no because you're still here. Guess what? You won't die until either you've completed the work he sent you to do or you just won't do any more work that he sent you to do. Now, that, that's not a Bible verse. I'm just saying it makes sense, doesn't it? It's appointed unto men who wants to die. Do what you were called to do. Don't worry. Be happy. No, don't do that. That's dumb. That actually is kind of a silly song, but... All right, let me, give you, let me give you three letters, and here we go. D-H-L. This is what our challenge, this, this is how we make it through, right, this craziness. D-H-L. Dig in. You shall know the truth, and the truth will, shed, will set you free. Know the truth. It will set you free. Dig in. H. Oh, what was the H? Man, I forgot. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Hang on. Matthew, uh, or Galatians 6, 9, do not grow tired and weary in doing good, for you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. I like the picture of the frog that's inside the throat, but his hands are reached out and grabbed around, around the neck of the bird, right? Hang on. Hang on to Jesus. Hang on to the truth of who he is. Listen, the more the enemy tries to drive you away from him, it ought to actually do the opposite and drive you closer. Be that stubborn, hard-headed kid, that strong-willed kid, that the more you tell him not to do something, the more he wants to, or the more you tell him to do something, the more he doesn't want to. Be that way with the gospel. The more the world tells you that's foolishness, say, you can say all you want, but I believe it, and I'm going to live it, and I'm going to die it, because God said it, and that's enough for me. D-H-L. Dig in, hold on, and lastly, look up. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. For you were bought with a price. Not with silver or gold, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. Therefore, be Christ's ambassadors. Live for the name of the, jer- on, of the name on the back of your jersey. It's not your name. It's the name of our Savior. This morning, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do so. I don't know if you can tell, but man, I'm fired up. I'm ready. Why? Because God's word is true. He's true. He's life. Even in the midst of whatever you're dealing with, He's still with you. By the way, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you know. So this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus, I want to invite you to trust him with your heart. I, want, I invite you to surrender all to him. Can you surrender all? Yeah. Why would you not? That would be like saying, I know if I invest 
my money in this fund, it'll return 100-fold, guaranteed, absolute, no chance of failure. But I'm only going to invest a little bit. I'm going to put a dollar in and see how it'll go. Why would we do that? <laughs> we need to do like Peter. Don't just, don't just wash my feet, wash my head, my toes, get all of me, right? Do all of it. And Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. You know, you're, you're missing a point, but I like your enthusiasm. This morning, all in. All in. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the hope we have in the gospel. God, I pray that you would quicken our spirits, quicken us to be alive to who you are. Father, I pray that you would let us complete the work you've sent us to do. May we be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand?